Thank you, Jared, for doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing. And thank all of you for being here this morning to worship God, to give praise to God. It's so good to see all of you here this morning. If you've not done so yet, I want to invite you to go ahead and get your Bible out and make your way over to the book of Galatians. Go to Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. Park yourself right there at Galatians. I'm not going to take you all over the place this morning. We're going to be in one spot and one spot alone. We're going to be right there in the book of Galatians. Get comfortable right there. As you turn there and get ready to study, let me just say how good it is to see you this morning. I'm so glad to be back home, at least for a week. I was up in Hammond, Indiana, a suburb of Chicago, actually, uh, for a gospel meeting. Had a wonderful time, wonderful group of Christians there. Uh, the, the meeting went from Sunday to Friday, got home late Friday night, but I'm happy to be back home again. I will be out of town again next week for a meeting, so I'm going to try to savor this time to be with you this morning as we study together and grow together. I'm so happy that we can be in the Word for just a few moments this morning. In fact, as we dive into our lesson, I want to begin my lesson this morning by talking with you about temperature. I want to talk with you about temperature. I want to know, where do you like the temperature set? at in your home you like it at about 80 degrees 78 75 degrees obviously a lot of that depends on the time of the day and maybe the time of the month and especially the time of the year you see my family and i first moved here back in june of 2019 we learned pretty quickly that the summers here in the valley can be especially hot. And if we adjusted our thermostat like we did the one we had down in Middle Tennessee, well, that was going to put us in bankruptcy pretty quick down here. Uh, that wasn't going to be good for us financially. We were going to have our family budget completely destroyed. Can't do that here in the valley. You see, in the summertime especially, we're always mindful of what the temperature is in our home, and maybe you're also mindful of the same thing. In fact, speaking of the temperature, I want you to notice the temperature of the book that's in front of us this morning. I want you to notice the temperature of the verses that Sean Michael read for us this morning. Notice how the temperature of the book you have in front of you right now, that letter, the temperature is hot. It is high. It is blazing and scorching. It is a book that doesn't begin like any other New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul. This book doesn't begin like the letters of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians that we read earlier this year. And it doesn't begin like the letters of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that we just finished completing. It doesn't begin like Romans or Philippians or Ephesians. It doesn't begin with Paul offering words of commendation and words of praise and thanksgiving for the good things going on among these brethren. Instead, this letter, the letter of Galatians, it begins with the Apostle Paul mad. He is furious. He is hot under the collar the temperature is high right away in this book and we need to appreciate that because as a congregation we're going to start reading it this week this week 
And for the next several weeks, we're going to be reading the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians is a very interesting book. It's a very unique book. There are actually some controversies regarding this book. Scholars have struggled with dating it. When exactly does Paul write this letter? Does he write it before or after 1st and 2nd Thessalonians? Does he write it before or after the Jerusalem meeting in Acts chapter 15? Could this be the very first inspired epistle by the Apostle Paul? Not all scholars agree with the dating of this letter, but one thing they do agree on is Paul cared about these brethren. Paul cared about these churches. In fact, the churches that the Apostle Paul is writing to in this letter are the same churches that we can read about him planting. And Acts chapter 13 and 14, they are the churches of Lystra and Derby and Iconium and Pisidian Antioch. You see, unlike the letters of Paul that we've read so far this year, in this letter, Paul's not writing to just one church, but he's writing to a group of churches, and as I said before, the temperature in this letter is hot. It is hot. Paul is mad. He's upset. He is furious with these brethren because they're being deceived. They're being deceived by false teachers. They're being deceived into believing a false gospel. In fact, the truth is, this whole letter is about the gospel. It's about breaking down the gospel and helping us understand the gospel. It's about contrasting the one true gospel with the false gospels that were being promoted at that time and even being promoted in our time today. In fact, since we're going to be reading this letter, the letter to the Galatians, over the next six weeks, how about I quickly give you four critical things, four critical things that the Apostle Paul says about the gospel in this letter. Let me suggest to you that when reading Galatians, when reading Galatians over the next several weeks, there are going to be several important things that we're going to be reminded of and that we need to be reminded of as the people of God. And the first thing we're going to be reminded of as we read Galatians is there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel of Jesus Christ. Brother Sean Michael read that for us this morning in Galatians chapter 1. And let's look at that again, if you don't mind, for the sake of emphasis. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 6. In verse number 6, the apostle Paul says, I am amazed. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you. And they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we've said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he is to be accursed. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ, for I would have you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice how as Paul begins this letter, he doesn't waste any time. 
He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't waste any time offering words of flattery and commendation and praising them for the good things they're doing. No, right away, Paul expresses frustration. Right away, Paul tells us he's mad. He's upset. He asks these Christians, what's wrong with you? What's your problem? What's your malfunction? Why are you being deceived into believing a false gospel? What the Apostle Paul is doing in this section is he's trying to urge these Christians to wake up. He's trying to remind them of something very important. He is reminding them that there's only one gospel and that one gospel must not be tampered with. That one gospel must not, must not be distorted. It must not be distorted by preachers and teachers. It must not be distorted by angels of God. It must not even be distorted by apostles, men who were special ambassadors of Jesus Christ. No person has the right to pervert or distort or change the gospel. And the reason why that is, is because of its source. Because it comes from God. Because it was revealed by the Holy Spirit. Because it was revealed by the Holy Spirit to men like the Apostle Paul. That's what Paul says in verse number 12. And the reason why he is saying that is because throughout this letter, he is doing the same thing that we found him doing throughout 2 Corinthians. And that is, he's defending his apostleship. He's defending his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is saying that contrary to what the critics were saying about him, he was a legitimate apostle because the Lord directly revealed to him the same gospel that he had to the other apostles. Paul says he wasn't taught the gospel by the other apostles. He wasn't coached on the gospel by Peter and James and John and Matthew. He didn't need any of the other apostles to bring him up to speed on the gospel. He received the gospel the same way the rest of them did through direct revelation. In fact, in chapter two, Paul says that the other apostles accepted him as a true apostle. And he even rebuked one of them, the apostle Peter, when he discovered that he wasn't walking according to the gospel. Paul's point here is there's only one gospel. And that one gospel comes from God. And it was revealed to people like Paul and the other apostles. And that's something that as the people of God, we need to be reminded of this morning for a couple of different reasons. First, we need to be reminded that of, the, of the fact there's only one gospel. So we can avoid being deceived by the false gospels that are being promoted on the outside. The false gospels that are being promoted on the outside, the false gospels like the Gnostic gospels, the false gospels like the Book of Mormon, the false revelations of God like the Quran, a book that is a total perversion of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to the earth to accomplish. We need to be reminded of the fact that there's only one gospel. So we can avoid being deceived by the false gospels being promoted on the outside. But not only do we need to avoid being deceived by the false gospels from the outside, we also need to be reminded of this so we can avoid being deceived by the false gospels from the inside. From inside the church. In fact, that's what Paul is really talking about in this letter. 
Listen carefully. When the Apostle Paul originally penned the words of this letter, he wasn't writing to the brethren about Mormonism. There was no Mormonism at this time. There was no Mormon church when Paul wrote this letter. He wasn't even warning them about the gospel of Judas or the gospel of Thomas or the gospel of, of Philip, those Gnostic gospels. No, when the Apostle Paul originally wrote this letter, he was warning brethren about brethren who were distorting the true gospel. He was warning them about brethren who were perverting the gospel and adding to the gospel. He was warning them about brethren who were promoting the idea that the one true gospel was not enough. That is what brethren were promoting among the Galatians 2000 years ago. And that same kind of stuff is going on today. That same kind of stuff is going on in the church today. Even in the church today, there are brethren who are attempting to pervert the gospel and change the gospel and promote strange things about the gospel. Some are caving to the message of culture and beginning to accept homosexual and transgender lifestyles. Some brethren are compromising the Lord's standard when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Some brethren are not content with the worship God has prescribed in the Bible. And so they're saying, hey, we use some instruments around here. We offer a traditional worship service. We offer a contemporary worship service. There are even some brethren who are promoting strange things about the return of Jesus. They're saying Jesus is not really going to personally come back one day like a thief in the night. No, he came back already during the destruction of Jerusalem. That was the second coming. And then there are even some brethren who are attempting to bind traditions and personal opinions and convictions on other people. They are attempting to bind matters where God allows personal judgment. That's sinful also. There are many ways in which brethren pervert and try to distort the one gospel, and we need to be beware of those people. We need to be on the lookout for those people. We need to be able to easily recognize those people and reject those people and be content with the one gospel that we have before us this morning. In this letter, we're going to be reminded that there's only one gospel that has come from Jesus Christ, and that one gospel, it tells us the truth about salvation. Oh, yes, as we read Galatians, we're going to be reminded of the truth concerning salvation. And I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing more important that a preacher could preach on than salvation. Out of any sermon I could ever give you from this pulpit, there is nothing more important that I could ever talk with you about than salvation. And this letter deals with salvation. And you and I both know that we're living in a time today where a lot of people are saying a lot of different things about salvation, right? I, I mean, for some people, for some preachers, they'll tell you that if you want to be saved, all you got to do is say a prayer. Just say a sinner's prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe in you. I make you my Lord and Savior. Some preachers will tell you. That salvation is solely found in praying to God. And then other religious groups will tell you that salvation is all about works. It's all about works. 
It's all about doing a bunch of good stuff. It's all about making sure that before you die, the good you've done in your life needs to outweigh the bad you've done in your life. That kind of stuff is also being promoted among religious groups today. But the question is, what was being promoted among the Galatians? What was the false gospel that was being promoted among those Christians? Well, the false gospel, and listen to me carefully, the false gospel that was being promoted among those Christians was actually a combination of Christianity and Judaism. It was actually a combination of the teachings of Moses and the teachings of Jesus. It was actually a teaching that suggested that obeying the one gospel was not enough. No, you needed to also become a Jew. You needed to also keep the old law. You needed to keep the Ten Commandments. You needed to be circumcised according to the law and observe the Jewish feast days. That is what a lot of teachers were suggesting to the Gentile converts in Galatia. But what does the Apostle Paul have to say about that? Well, let's look at what Paul has to say about that, because Paul's got a lot to say about that. And we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to show you several passages here, so please go with me here. In Galatians chapter 2, verse number 15, in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 15, the Apostle Paul says, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified. He's not justified. He is not justified by works of the law. That's the Old Testament law of Moses. But through faith in Christ Jesus, even if we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by works of the law no flesh will be justified. Drop down to verse 20. In verse 20, Paul goes on to say, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, the Old Testament law of Moses, which included circumcision, feast days, keeping feast days, the Ten Commandments, he says if righteousness came through that, then Christ died needlessly. What was the point of Jesus coming if we could be saved by the old law? That doesn't make any sense. Look at chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 10. In chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, for as many as are of the works of the law are, are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. you got to keep the law perfectly. And in verse 11 he says, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live. He's going to live by faith, not by the law. Drop down to verse number 23 of the same chapter. Verse 23, chapter 3. Paul says that before, but before faith came, the idea there is the system of being justified by faith. Before the system of being justified by faith in Jesus came, before that was established, we were kept in custody under the law. We were kept in bondage under that old law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law, the old law has become our tutor. Some of your translations say our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ so that we may what? Be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, the system of being justified by faith. Paul says that's here. And now that it is here, we are no longer under the tutor. 
Look at chapter 5, please. One more place. Chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery there is talking about the old law. We're free under the gospel of Christ, under the new covenant, free from sin. But they will, some of them wanted to go back to the yoke of slavery. And Paul goes on to explain himself in verse 2 when he says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, that is circumcision for the purpose of being saved, thinking you're being saved, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. If you're going to do the circumcision thing, then you might as well keep offering animal sacrifices and doing everything else the law said. And then in verse 4, he says, if you do that, you have been severed, cut off from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. You see Paul's point? You see what Paul is saying in all those verses? Paul is saying here that while the law did come from God, while it did come from heaven and it was given to the Jews and it had a specific purpose for a specific time, while it made people conscious of sin and understand the negative consequences of sin, Paul says it is not binding upon people who are seeking a relationship with God under the new covenant. It is not binding upon me and it's not binding upon you. Justification is not found in keeping any aspects of the law. Instead, it's found in having faith in Jesus Christ. It's found in following Jesus, trusting Jesus, giving our complete allegiance to Jesus. That's the message that Paul is preaching to the Galatians. And that's something we need to be reminded of. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 60 or 70 or 80 years. We all need to be reminded that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. It is not found in adding to the gospel. It is not found in being like the Judaizers of Paul's day. It is not found in believing that we need to have faith in Christ and obey the gospel, but we also got to do this and we got to do that and we got to do this and that and that and add other things to the gospel. We also got to keep the law. We got to keep the Ten Commandments. We got to be circumcised according to the law. We got to keep the Jewish feast days. We got to walk around believing to ourselves that if we do a bunch of good works, that will earn us favor with God. If I complete my Bible reading schedule this year, that's going to earn me favor with God. If I pray three times a day, that's going to earn me favor with God. If I visit a certain number of sick people throughout the week or give a certain amount of money to the poor or attend a certain percentage of worship assemblies throughout the course of my life, all that stuff is going to earn me favor with God. Paul preaches against all that nonsense in this book. Don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand. Not saying we don't need to do those things I mentioned. Those are good works. Those are important works. Those are all things that are part of Christianity, being a giver, being a worshiper. 
being someone who's trying to do everything God says. No doubt we need to obey God, but whenever we believe that our salvation has anything to do with works of merit or achievement, you know what we've done? We've added to the gospel. We perverted the gospel. We have done exactly what Paul is condemning throughout this book. You see, throughout this book, Paul is making the point that salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's found in Jesus alone. It's not found in perfect law keeping. None of us could do that except Jesus. It's not found in thinking that our good works are being impressive to God and is earning us a right to go to heaven. It's not found in living a life to where we're just trying to earn our salvation by making sure that our good works outweigh our bad works towards the end of our lives. No, Galatians is reminding us of the truth about salvation. It is reminding us that salvation is found in Jesus. It's found in the grace of Jesus. It's found in having faith in Jesus. It is not found in keeping the law or doing a bunch of good stuff because we think we're impressing God. That is the main message of Galatians. And it's important that we understand that this book reminds us there's only one gospel. And that one gospel tells you the truth about salvation. And that one gospel also tells you the truth about yourself. Who are you? Who are you? Someone says, I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. I'm a saint. I'm a member of the church of Christ. I'm, I'm a member of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Okay, all right. What about what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 3? What about this? What about Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 26? Where the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 26, For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to promise. I want you to notice that word heirs in verse 29. You see that word heirs there? Paul says that as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, we are heirs. We are the recipients of an inheritance. We are the recipients of an inheritance, not from Bill Gates or, or Warren Buffett or Sam Walton. No, we are the recipients of great blessings and promises from God. We are the recipients of a relationship with God. We are the recipients of a covenant relationship that God promises to the descendants of Abraham going all the way back to Genesis 12 and verse 3. We're heirs. We are heirs of great promises and blessings from God. And I'm going to tell you something that is absolutely amazing because under the old law, the people who are mentioned in verse number 28, they couldn't be that. They couldn't be heirs. Slaves could not inherit under Jewish law. For all the women here this morning, women could not inherit under Jewish law. Gentiles 
people like all of us in this room, people who are not Jewish, we cannot inherit under Jewish law, but under the gospel law, we can. Under the gospel law, I can and you can under the new covenant that has been ushered in by Jesus. We can all inherit great promises and blessings from God. We can do that when we become the children of God by getting into Christ. By putting on Christ, by clothing ourselves in Christ, by being baptized into Christ, according to verse number 27. You see, in this section, Paul's point is a powerful point that we need to appreciate. And it is Gentiles. People like us, people who are not Jewish, we can be saved. Praise God. We can be saved. We can become children of God. We of all people, Gentiles, are you kidding me? We can become heirs of God. Paul says that's always been the will of God. That's always been what God wanted to offer all mankind. And we need to walk around in our lives understanding that and appreciating that. As Gentile people, we need to appreciate that God has always valued us and God has always loved us and God has always wanted us. And throughout the Old Testament, he's actually working, planning and scheming to ensure that we can become his children. You know what that means? That means that Galatians is going to remind us that the Bible isn't just about Jesus. It isn't just about Jesus. It isn't just about the Jews and how God dealt with the Jews throughout the course of their history. No, the Bible's also about us. The, the Bible's about me. The Bible is about you. The Bible is about God loving us and valuing us and using his son to ensure and provide a way for us to become heirs of great promises. That's what the Bible's about. And we got to see that when we read our Bibles. We got to see that even when we read our Old Testament. Galatians reminds us that there's only one gospel. And that gospel tells us the truth about salvation and about ourselves. And then finally, that one gospel also tells us the truth about righteous living. As we read Galatians, we're going to be reminded about the need to live righteously, to live as real Christians. And so look at Galatians chapter five, please. I want to show you a few scriptures here as we get ready to wrap up very soon. You've listened very well, and I appreciate that. In Galatians chapter five, and verse 16, the Apostle Paul says in verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. In verse number 18, he says, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. In verse number 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Verse 25 says, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. But it's how after telling us about our inheritance in Jesus Christ, Paul says that that reality, the fact that we're children of God, that we are heirs to great blessings from God. Well, that should impact us. 
That should impact our lives. That should compel us to walk by the spirit and be led by the spirit and be and to live by the spirit. When Paul talks about living by the spirit, what he means is we need to apply the teachings of the spirit to our lives. We need to read the words of the spirit, know the words of the spirit, be influenced by the teachings of the spirit. We need to be need to be influenced by the gospel, the word of God that has been revealed to us. Through those who pen the words of Scripture. You see, according to Paul, children of God, Christians, disciples, heirs to great blessings from God, they should strive to live right. They should strive to live righteously. They should strive to live according to the will of the Holy Spirit. This involves abstaining. From the works of the flesh that are mentioned in chapter five, verses 19 through 21. It involves abstaining from sexual immorality and drunkenness and idolatry and treating my my brethren in ungodly ways because I'm jealous of them and bitter and being hateful and envious towards them. It involves Avoiding being a person who doesn't have self-control. I don't have control over my temper. I don't have control over my passions. I'm always in the middle of problems and disputes in the church. Paul says I need to avoid the works of the flesh and I need to practice the fruits of the spirit. The fruits of the spirit that are mentioned in verses 22 and 23. I need to practice love. I need to practice joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I need to try to restore sinful brethren in a spirit of gentleness, according to chapter six and verse one. I need to seek to bear the burdens of my brothers and sisters, according to chapter six and verse two. I need to avoid growing weary of doing good in the kingdom of God, as Paul says in chapter six and verse nine. I need to do good to all people, especially the people of God, according to chapter six and verse 10. You see what Paul is doing there? Paul is saying that even though the old law is not binding on us. And even though I can't earn my salvation by doing a bunch of good works that I think is going to impress God because I'm a child of God, because I'm an heir, because I've been justified by the blood of Jesus. I need to try to live right. I need to live righteously. I need to live by the spirit, walk by the spirit, be led by the spirit. I need to live as a true child of God. That's what Paul has to say in this book. And we're going to have a whole lot more to say about this book in our weekly Zoom meetings on Thursday nights. We have a lot more to say. But for now, I just want you to have this preview. This is just a preview. It's just a little taste. I want just to give you four key ideas that the Apostle Paul is really trying to get us to understand in this book. He wants us to know there's only one gospel. And that one gospel tells us the truth about salvation found in Jesus. And that one gospel tells us the truth about ourselves. It tells us the truth about our identity. And that one gospel tells us the truth about how we can live lives that please the Lord. This book is going to help us in so many different ways. I'm excited to read it. In fact, maybe you're here this morning 
and you realize you are not part of the people that the book of Galatians talks about. You're not a child of God. You're not part of the family of God. You're not a son or daughter of God and an heir right now to great promises and blessings from God. If that describes you right now, then I will remind you again. I'll remind you one more time. Of Galatians 3, verse 26, where the Apostle Paul says one more time, but now that faith has come, verse 25, we're no longer under a tutor for you're all sons of God, verse 26, through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to promise. If you are not a child of God this morning, the Bible says here that you can become a child of God. You can become an heir this morning to great spiritual blessings. You can do that once you do the same thing the people in Galatia did to become Christians. Have faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. Be baptized to put on Christ and clothe yourself and dress yourself in Christ. That's what you got to do if you're going to be justified this morning. If we can help you do that for the first time, or if you're a child of God and you need to be restored back into a right relationship with him, whatever spiritual needs you may have, we'll be more than happy to help you right here and right now. Let's stand, let's sing.